0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises off. Hey everyone, I'm Leah Smart, and welcome to In the Arena, a LinkedIn self-development podcast. Our show explores the vulnerable aspects of the human experience to inspire transformation. Hey, everyone. So today I'm talking to Olga Hazan. She's a writer at The Atlantic and the author of the book, Weird, The Power of Being an Outsider in an Insider World. I gravitated towards this book first because I've certainly, and many times more than I'd like to admit, felt a little bit weird. And I know that if I have, you have too. Now, if you look back at Olga's pieces in The Atlantic, you'll find most of the recent ones are about COVID or the ever-volatile political climate. But if you keep going, she's got pieces like Corporate Buzzwords Are Workers' Way of Pretending to Be Adults, or America's Favorite Prison, and finally, Carry Yourself with the Confidence of a Male Scientist. I love these titles, and I see Olga writing about real stuff and backing it with qualitative and quantitative data. So when we connected, it was to help all of us understand the science of nonconformity, otherwise known as being weird. Now, I can't help but use air quotes when I say weird now because I'm rejecting its most popular connotations. And Olga actually kicks off her book by sharing she wants to reclaim that word weird. Maybe one day we won't even have to use it at all. We talked about some of the dozens of individual stories and the research she collected while learning the world of outsiders. She shared how outsiders retain their resilience and how the insiders impact outsiders and communities that are defined as tighter rather than looser. So, whether that be work, neighborhood, school, club, church, or any other community you can imagine that you're a part of today, there are a certain set of rules that you have tos or you shoulds that drive how likely we each are to fit in and be an insider. And finally, what would this conversation be without discussing the upsides of being on the outside? It's where some of the most important parts of being human emerge. I learned a new phrase from Olga, which is idiosynchronous credits, and we somehow looped in the eighth principle of Burning Man. Now, I hope you love this episode. I hope you find some nugget of where your weirdness becomes okay and acceptable to you. And I hope you grab Olga's book. Enjoy.
1: How has being weird ever benefited you?
0: Hi, listeners. I'm Leah Smart, and welcome to In the Arena, where we explore vulnerable aspects of the human experience to inspire transformation. So today, I'm joined by Olga Hazan. She is a staff writer at The Atlantic and the author of the book, Weird. She's also written for the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, Forbes, and many other publications. And today she's joining us to talk about weird and why it's actually an advantage. So welcome, Olga. Yeah, thanks so much for having me thank you for being here. Um, So why don't you just kick off? I mean, I I was attracted to this book because, uh, you know, I saw the title. And that was really all I needed was, you know, just being able to see someone calling out weirdness. And I love how you talked about wanting to reclaim the word weird. But I would love for you to just share with with us, you know, what makes someone weird?
1: Yeah, so for my book, how I defined it basically is if they're different from everyone else around them. And so it could be really any characteristic. Sometimes it was like because they're like one of the only people of their gender doing their kind of profession or hobby. So um, like one of the people is like a female race car driver. It could be because they were like one of the only people of their religion or ethnicity from their town. I also interviewed people who are like of a different political orientation than everyone else around them. So for my purposes, it was like other people thought they were weird because of something about them, but I'm sure that like lots of people from uh, all walks of life think they, there's something weird about them because of some facet that may not be as obvious as they are in my book. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. And I it's really love the the outside the norm is helping us understand what weird means because I to your point, I bet there are tons of people out there who think, "Well, I have this thing about me that makes me feel a little bit weird or a little bit different." But there's a specificity to what you're sharing it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the like for the book, I wanted it to be like, you know, the person was clearly different, but I I think a lot of people can identify with the feeling of of being a norm violator or a norm breaker even if even if they're not so different from everyone else.
0: Yeah. So you you interviewed dozens of people. I'm curious what made you pick the people and stories you put into your book because they're all very different.
1: Yeah, I mean this kind of started with like a million phone calls with different people. Like so I would I would try to find professions that were completely like homogenous. So something like preschool teachers, right? Almost all of them are women. So I started calling male preschool teachers. Like I just, I found like the, you know, three or four male preschool, there's more than that, but <laughs> I, I found like, I found like the, you know, the preschool teachers who are male and we started calling them and I was like, hey, like how, how has this been for you? How is this, um, you know, what was that experience like? What drew you to this profession? Like, is it weird? You know? And so I kind of focused on those people who did have a story to tell or felt like, or they were at least like talkative. So the person who ended up in the book, Daniel, like he has a really interesting story of being othered, of of showing up at his preschool and being like very obviously male and, you know, having things like there was no men's bathroom in the uh, preschool because they were like, we've only ever had women work here. And, you know, facing a lot of, Distrust at the hands of a lot of the parents uh, at the preschool, um, and also unfortunately f- facing a false accusation at the hands of one of his um, fellow coworkers. So, for that, I I just it it did seem like people kind of used his um, difference kind of against him in that way, you know. But at the same time, like his job also brought him a lot of joy and was sort of one of the most fulfilling things about his life. So. I don't know, I was kind of interested in both of those kind of patterns in his life.
0: Yeah, there's sort of like that interesting kind of dichotomy of being weird or being an outsider but that also being something that brings you joy. Is that do you is that related to kind of this theme of authenticity that's been circling around for the last, you know, few years in popularity?
1: So one of the chapters in the book is is called Truth, but maybe it should have been called Authenticity now that you mentioned that. Um, So one of the things that I noticed about these people is that they had to like really consciously make a decision to be who they were gonna be. They could not just like float into whatever it is they were doing, um, because most of the time, the obstacles they were facing were like too extreme. So one of the people that I profile is this surgeon who actually has dwarfism. So he's like of short stature, is like sort of how it's said now. So he's he's, like very short. He's like, I think around four feet tall or something. You know, it doesn't sound like a big deal to us now, but kind of when he was trying to become a surgeon, you know, several decades ago, you know, society was really, really prejudiced against people like that. Like, you know, he faced pretty open statements, like you can't become a surgeon because you're short. And he he sent dozens of applications to different medical schools, you know, to different fellowships. He was like fighting and fighting and fighting for every opportunity to become a surgeon because he knew that it was something he wanted to do. And that's something that I, I noticed with these folks is that they were like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm all about. It doesn't matter who stands in my way. Like I am going to accomplish this no matter what. I mean, in some ways that was like kind of a strength because it made you super duper sure that that's what, you're <laughs> that's what you're gonna be doing. Just because the obstacles were, were too great otherwise.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I loved reading that story because of his tenacity and his perseverance. Like he kept going despite, you know, I know you shared some of the quotes in the book of what what was said to him. And he kept going despite each of those things that were said to him. He knew what he wanted to do and he was not going to veer off the path. And that was just it was so inspiring to hear someone that was so clear on what they wanted to do. And it just reminded me of how once people kind of align with the direction that they want to go and it's kind of deeply meaningful and purposeful, There are very few things that can get in their way. And I don't know if you've read Grit, but I was just reading some notes around it that I had made. And one of the things Angela Duckworth talks about and her primary kind of focus of the book is, you know, passion and perseverance. And she says that people don't have a problem with perseverance. It's often that they have a problem with direction or passion.
1: So I have read grit, um, and I, I I was inspired by it to to be even grittier. Although I think I'm already pretty pretty great, <laughs> but um yeah, I think I think the folks in my book do exhibit a lot of grit. Like they really are all about whatever it is they're doing. They're super certain, and they have a a direction. And there's like like one of the people is uh, this female race car driver, Julia Landauer, and she gets like the crap kicked out of her (laughs) so much just in the book. Like she loses all these races. Like her car falls apart in the middle of a race. She like gets injured. She like can't raise any money. Like things get canceled. Things get put on hold. Like it's just like a constant scramble to do like advance, like the smallest, like little micrometer forward. And I was like, this would be so annoying to me. Like, I don't know that I would like you know, stick with this path if, if it were my thing, because I, I would get like annoyed by having to deal with all these setbacks. But she was just really tenacious about it. And she was like, you know, this is what I'm doing. Like, there's nothing else for me. Like, I don't care how many, you know, like this is just part of my job is to face these setbacks. And yeah, I mean, that's like, I think a certain kind of person who's willing to do that. But um, I definitely noticed that among several of my interviewees.
0: What do you think that's about? Like what are what's what's beneath that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like before you can convince other people that you belong, you kind of have to convince yourself, right? Like I think that a lot of these folks like they were kind of facing an uphill climb uh, as to belonging. Like like, people were kind of predisposed to not trust that they were going to be able to do what they wanted to do. So like in the case of the surgeon, like people were openly telling him like, we don't think you would be a good surgeon because you're too short. And I think that like before he could say like, no, actually you're wrong because all I need is a step stool and I could do a very good job and you know, he had to sort of like internally convince himself of that and and kind of live his whole life accomplishing the same thing that people of, of normal stature could, you know, accomplish and sort of be like, no, actually, I am just as good as these people. And, you know, kind of get get in that mindset of like you know they're wrong and I'm right kind of yeah I think I don't know maybe that's what did it
0: <laughs> yeah I I mean I love that thought is in order to convince other people you've got to convince yourself which is probably also aligned to this idea of you know truth or authenticity and really connecting to yourself before you try to get out into the world and say this is w- what I'm doing and who I am
1: yeah yeah totally I'm thinking
0: through all of these stories, and a lot of these stories are, you know, are, are people in, you know, you said homogenous professions where, you know, there's very clearly kind of an in and an out, which, you know, thinking about the story with Daniel and, you know, the bathroom, this bathroom situation, I was just I was shocked going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that that's what's happening to him right now. Race car drivers, Michael, who's the surgeon, how do we bring this back to, you know, everyday life to people who are working in industries like ours and technology in the new sector? What's, what does weird look like for us?
1: I thought about this a lot because there actually is kind of an application here for kind of quote unquote regular jobs. So most workplaces follow a concept called tightness and looseness. Um, And this is this idea that the rules of a certain environment can either be really strict or tight, or they can be uh, really loose, right? Um, So there could be like not a lot of rules. So if you think about like a really high powered New York law firm, that's going to be a really tight environment. There's a certain way you have to communicate. There's a certain way you have to dress. There's a certain way you have to behave. Often these kinds of workplaces have unspoken rules like you have to stay at the office until after your manager leaves. You have to phrase emails a certain way. You have to, you know, it's just like like all of those kind of you have tos are like more evidence that you're in a tight environment and it can be really challenging for people who aren't familiar with those rules either from their family of origin or just their cultural background or like you know wherever else they're coming from it's not always like the most natural like it's 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 like very hard sometimes to fit into really tight environments like you know to the point where i think a lot of people do seek out i know you're a coach like a lot of people do seek out like coaching or even like therapy or something just so they can get a better sense of, you know, how to communicate in these environments where the rules seem really specific. Or even something like like business casual, right? Like It's like we all know kind of what business casual means, and it kind of means that you can't come to work in sweatpants, but you can come to work <laughs> in jeans. And it's like, where does that come from? Like, that's like, that's like a rule that people have sort of like absorbed through osmosis by sort of understanding the rules and kind of incorporating them into their day-to-day life. So you still know when you are weird, even if you're not like the only person like you, obviously. So my example that I use in journalism, it's a very, especially like magazine journalism, it's a very Ivy League field like it's it's a very like a lot of people went to ivy league schools or their parents are professors mm. like those are two really big trends and my parents <laughs> do not really understand journalism at all like they don't even really know what reporting is And I went to a school that like you, I'm sure have never heard of. (laughs) And (laughs) it's not the biggest deal. Like it's not, it's not like, oh, and that means I can never, obviously I do work in journalism and like it is mostly fine. But like, I definitely have gotten questions like, why did you go to college there? Or like, you know, I don't know, just like, just like small things like, oh, I had my dad read this, you know, before I submitted it to my editor, because he's an expert in like Middle Eastern history or whatever. Mm. And it's like, you, they have these like small advantages and small kind of like ways of understanding these rules and, and being part of this world that people who don't have that same background and don't have those same advantages don't. Um, so there's like a million other ways of like like examples of that, like those are just like two, but uh, that's how it has like manifested for me.
0: It's interesting because I'm thinking about, you know, listening to you talk about your field and thinking about in tech, there is a maybe a different barrier to entry than, you know, having parents who are in the field so you know you're you're typically not meeting somebody in tech and and saying that they belong or they're part of the in-group because their parents were in tech but there certainly are things about people in tech that probably make us belong and you know when I think of some of them it's things around you know political stance um, schools that we went to I wonder if if this sounds kind of kind of weird, but well, speaking of weird, if it sounds weird, but it's like there's sort of a tightness in the amount of looseness that people in tech hold from the progressive, you know, the way we are progressively, you know, politically, our stances, the way we look at the world. It's almost, you know, there's almost still an in and an out group in tech, even though it's about being progressive and open minded.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, yeah, like like looseness doesn't really mean like Democrats or like liberal, (laughs) although I think people like. (laughs) sometimes think it does, like, like, there's definitely like a way of of like being tight around looseness like you said like only doing drugs at burning man Mm -hmm. or you know yeah like even like political candidates it's like oh well yeah like i support gay marriage but i still love capitalism like it's you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's sort of like even if you are have like these loose positions they, they can still be enforced in a tight way or they can be circumscribed in a way that feels rather tight
0: yeah belonging is a huge conversation topic for you know i'm sure a lot of corporate companies. It's very much highlighted in tech right now. I am maybe incorrectly associating you know, this idea of belonging with looseness, but I'm wondering if you can just share what does looseness look like and feel like? How do you know you're in an environment that has that as a quality?
1: So looseness feels like basically that there are not a ton of rules, processes, ways of being that are Correct. So I brought up Burning Man earlier, but really, it's a good example of looseness in in a way. In that, like, I've never been, but from what I've heard. Me either. (laughs) it It is very, like, choose your own adventure, kind of like you can go and you can, like, wear no clothes or you can wear a really weird outfit or you can build a structure and like have art like interesting art in it and you can like do drugs or you can not do drugs or you can you know like there's there's just like not a like the only rule is that i think you have to like clean up after yourself like it's it's very like kind of like yeah like everyone do whatever and so i mean obviously like not every office can be burning man but so offices that are more like that are probably going to be like very employee led offices where people kind of work on projects with a team and they're all kind of like the projects are like democratically decided, you know, and everyone like asks each other their pronouns before they start working and they go out of their way to be inclusive. And, um, you know, there's not really a right or wrong and there's not really like, like, so on your performance review, is there a, Category for like violating the culture of the organization, right? Because if the organization has a culture and you're violating it, that probably means that it's like a tight culture. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, but looseness, I have to say, like, it can have disadvantages because if you're embracing like all kinds of people like you're probably going to embrace some people who piss other people off Mm. (laughs) like you're you know what i mean like like one person's like yay freedom is like another person's like you're actually making me really uncomfortable and so like you know this is like sort of a constant struggle that sociologists have is that like people in in really tight societies can be really miserable like if you think about like the amish or you know the military but people in really loose societies can also be miserable like you can have kind of a Sense of like purposelessness or like drifting or like feeling like you don't know what it is you're supposed to be doing. Like you kind of feel like I don't know what my purpose is. So those kinds of feelings can come up with looseness. So I I wouldn't necessarily say that like we all have to be as loose as possible.
0: Right, right. right. There's sort of like a uh, you know the the string too far into the like amorphous blob of a community could make it feel like I don't even know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah, which makes sense, right? There's sort of like the the far sides of the spectrum, and we hope to land somewhere close-ish to the middle. You talked a little bit about this concept of the behavioral immune system when it comes to communities. And I'm curious if you can share about that. I thought that was fascinating.
1: Yeah. So this, the behavioral immune system is basically an explanation of why weird things freak us out. And it's, it's, it's a little bit theoretical. So I like, if some study comes out tomorrow, that's like questions, you know, the behavioral immune system, like don't, Sue me because I'm just I will hold you, you accountable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you what has been published so far. So basically, it's it's this concept that's been developed by these researchers who kind of looked at why some cultures seem to be more creative than others. So not necessarily smarter, not necessarily better, but just like, they kind of like they do things like they win more Nobel Prizes, or they they get more patents or things like that. And so one thing that's kind of correlated with this is sort of like what the disease burden is in that country historically. So are these people who have had a lot of like really bad infectious diseases like leprosy or malaria or typhus kind of over the course of of the decades? And the idea is that like these infectious diseases, they kind of like suppress interesting thought. So because people are worried about getting sick, they're like worried about harm coming to them. They sort of became a little bit more conformist. So let's say you you bring in a like a new person into your community and they act they behave in this really unusual way, you kind of like don't trust that. Like you kind of you're not like yay, a new idea. You're you're kind of like a little bit put off by that because you're like wait a minute. Does this person have new ideas that are going to get us sick? Like, are they saying that we should have sex in unsafe ways? Because the last time we tried that, we got a really horrible disease. You know, is this person acting this way because they themselves have a really bad disease, like syphilis, which makes you act in an unusual way? So people kind of became a little bit not trusting of new ideas, people who had like uh, really disruptive kind of literally from the tech world uh, ideas. And that kind of of stuck with the culture and made that culture a little bit less innovative. And so this is sort of like manifested later on in, in people's kind of mistrust of say like foreigners or outsiders, especially when they're like more prone to getting sick. So like a classic example of this is in their first trimester, pregnant women are more prone to infections. And if you test a pregnant woman throughout her pregnancy, like in that first trimester, she will exhibit more xenophobic beliefs than during like further along in the pregnancy. So it's, it's not like she herself is like this horrible xenophobic person, but just like you're a little bit more on your guard. You're a little bit more wary of outsiders during that time when you're more sensitive to uh, infection and when you're more worried about getting sick. So it kind of just kind of shows you like some of these origins of like, why are we so like wigged out by unusual ideas?
0: (laughs) Right, right. It's like, it's truly a survival mechanism is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, and obviously like, I'm not saying, oh, and it makes perfect sense. Like it doesn't, it's not like totally rational, but you know, a lot of things that people do are not, they're more um, like instinctual than rational.
0: Yeah, right. And it's and it's sort of recognizing that, I mean, for me is always just, a, it doesn't excuse behavior, but it does help to understand that deeper layer to say, okay, I get it. Now we can actually use our rational brains to say, does this really make sense or does it not?
1: Right. Yeah. And that's how I feel about it is like, it really helps to, I mean, it helps me to know like- okay, I am already predisposed to feel this way. So am I feeling this way because it's like a real, like, is this a real legitimate threat? Or is this like, am I just getting like a spidey sense that is like not actually very trustworthy or is like a weird ancestral vestige that is, is not really relevant anymore? <laughs>
0: Right. It's it's our our instincts can definitely lead us astray in trying to identify, you know, what's weird, what's not weird and what's a threat. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. I came to your work excited because I have myself felt like I have been someone in, you know not so much anymore because to your point earlier I've con- I've convinced myself why I'm doing what I'm doing and I feel very purposeful but at the time of my own you know transition professionally and just around a lot of who I am I felt weird and so I saw your book cover and I was like of course I'm going to talk to her because I felt this experience and if I felt it I know other people have too so I love the the piece of your book that talks about some of the benefits and I'd love for you to share you know what are some of the good things that come out of being weird
1: Yeah, so a big one that I talk about is creativity. So there is a lot of research that suggests that, first I have to preface this by saying that just because this research shows that this kind of adversity leads to something good, it obviously does not mean, right, that we need to cause... Adversity to happen to people like this. Right. <laughs> this is something yeah. the researchers I talk We're to. We're not like, engineering you know. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's better to not have adversity. Let's be clear. Um, <laughs> but if you're gonna have adversity, like here's the silver lining. One of the kind of interesting line of lines of research is that people who feel kind of slightly rejected or just like, yeah, you don't really fit in here. You don't really belong. They're actually like more creative. So they're better at solving different kinds of word problems. So like in one of these studies, they like had people like first try to figure out like what unites this set of words that was like, you know, fish, mine, and rush. So the like, the answer is like gold. And then in another part of the study, they had them draw aliens from another planet. And so the people who kind of felt rejected or, you know, kind of were like put in this situation where they were felt like you're not really chosen to work as part of the group, they actually were more creative and like better at both types of tasks. And we see this in other kind of manifestations with with people who are kind of different from everyone else around them. So like most famously, like when, you know, kids who are kind of between cultures or who are raised in different, with different languages, they tend to be better at perspective taking. So they have like a better ability to understand the perspectives of adults around them. Okay, so this is a quote by Erotica Damian, who's one of the researchers who studies this weirdness creativity benefit. And she says, the idea behind this is that once you've experienced things that violate norms, And rules and expectations, you're more open to things like that. You experience that the world doesn't have to work by your rules, so you can break the rules. And I really like that because it kind of suggests that like, you're like, okay, like this, you know, environment, they're not having me. They're not going to choose me, you know, so I am just going to do what I want. I am going to make up my own rules for how I want to live, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Um, And sometimes that can be kind of freeing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm. you had me thinking about, you know, half of the entrepreneurs in, in technology probably had this experience of this way of working doesn't work for me or this way of building this particular product or this solution doesn't work for me. I have a better way. I'm going to do it differently at, the, at a large scale. But even at a, a smaller scale of saying, you know, this environment doesn't work for me, And then realizing that you can actually be okay outside of that environment, which I think is what locks us into this probably really misaligned, or I know it is, misaligned feeling of kind of wanting to be weird or authentically yourself, but fearing that outside of this particular community, you might not be okay
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people like get stuck at the step of like trying to be like, no researcher, please pick me for the, you know, control group. Uh, Please like, you know, please uh, include me in this after all, you know, instead of just saying like, hey, like, I think there actually could be some benefits to the fact that I'm not like everyone else here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you you talk about being weird. And then there's the the opposite side, which is being quote, unquote, you know, in the in group, right, or feeling like you belong. And, you know, you shared the, the 10 principles of Burning Man, I remember reading these, because I thought they were fascinating. And the one you were talking about is, it's called Leave No Trace. Yeah. And so I'm curious, when I think about, you know, for Burning Man, it's it's physically leaving no trace. But I'm also thinking about how we as people who maybe do belong in certain environments, leave a trace on the people who don't. And so what are you recommending that, you know, we do to support people who may feel like they're outsiders or feel like they're weird in our environments?
1: I wish I had like one little aphorism that just (laughs) wrap this right up. Um, So I think it's unfortunately like gonna depend a lot on the person and the particular struggle that they're facing and the nature of the thing that they want to achieve. Sometimes like, I'm not gonna lie, it's gonna be better to like, Fake it till you make it a little bit until you get the thing that you really want, and then you can let your you know freak flag fly. <laughs> um, so this is a this is a concept called idiosyncrasy credits, and it's basically just pretending that you fit in with the group a little bit at the beginning of your time with the group, and then you kind of splinter away and like introduce your kind of weird idea. Um,
0: I love that. So it's, it's like you pretend and then you scare everybody like two months down the road. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But the thing is people don't get scared because they already accept you. Like they already are Mm. like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, like, you know, she knows all about what we're doing and she's like totally one of us. So we should listen to her because she is like our best interest at heart. So so like a example of this that someone else who was interviewing me said was like, This is like dating. So right, like when you're first dating someone, you're like, Oh my god, I love everything you love and I love watching baseball and like eating pizza or whatever they like. And then like, you know, later on you're like, By the way, I really hate baseball and like just sort of <laughs> and, and I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't actually like pizza. But I mean, not so extreme, but like we all are familiar with a version of this. So it's, you know, in the work setting, it might be something more like at the beginning of your time at a job, you're like, oh, yeah, that project sounds really interesting. And then like two months later, you're like, actually, I look closer at that project. And like, you know, I don't know if it's really worth continuing. Like it's, you know, mm. but people will be more accepting of that if you've already like presented yourself as someone who is, you know, part of the team.
0: What you're saying is, you know, even if you are feeling like you're weird or you may not fully belong, you can still kind of be at cause around how you're accepted into the group by playing with this idea of idiosyncrasy credits.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm not trying to tell people to be manipulative, but like, I do think that sometimes like your larger goal or your core value is like maybe more important to you than like being, like, your full, like, weirdest possible extent of yourself in every situation. <laughs> like, sometimes, uh, you know, so, some of these folks were just, like, so Julia, the, the NASCAR driver, was, like, you know, she didn't, like, always love doing photo shoots and things like that, but, like, she would do them because they were part of the job, and, like, she wasn't going to throw a huge fit just because it wasn't what she felt like doing. So I think we all have to do that to some extent, and this is just a way to do that with your like identity a little bit.
0: Love that. And and then on the other side of it, are there any actions that that we can take um as as people who may be on the other side of those who do feel like they're on the outside?
1: Yeah. So like w- one thing this book did not address that everyone has asked me about since it came out is like how to end prejudice, Mm. which is not, is not really what I, that
0: sounds like, uh, if we had a book on that, that people actually followed, we'd be in a very different place.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, so like, this is purely like folk wisdom now. Like it's not, it's not in my book, but I think just like, honestly, like, so some of the, the ways that I think about psychology is just like, Even if I can't change it, I just want to know, right? Like, so even if I can't immediately do anything about the behavioral immune system, which I think is like not a very good instinct, I would like to know that it exists and that like it's Mm -hmm. possibly what's happening in a situation just so that I understand what's going on. Like, I think the first step is like, understand what is going on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think like the more people understand the, the challenges of being different, of being a norm violator, and how that affects the entire organization, how that affects the person who is different, you can kind of start to make your own path in being nicer and better toward those folks. Like, you don't need a book to tell you how, like, to be a good person. (laughs) So I think as long as you see that, like, hey, I think this person is, like, struggling in this environment because we're making all these cultural references that we learned at Harvard, and this person did not go to Harvard. In fact, they didn't go to college. And, like, they get really, you know, they kind of clam up and get really lost whenever we toss these references around. I have a feeling that they are you know, instead of saying like, well, this person should have just gone to Harvard then. Like, I think, you know, mm-hmm. you could say, hey, maybe we like explain some of our references or we tone them down or we, you know, find other references to make when we're, you know, chatting amongst ourselves because not everyone gets these references. Like, I think that's like a very like no-brainer way to do it that you can start to do once you realize how, how difficult it is for people who come from different environments.
0: Yeah, it sounds like what you're talking about is this, you know, self and other awareness and being able to sort of question our assumptions. You said this earlier, when it comes to uh, the behavioral immune system, you would ask yourself a question like, you know, is this true? If something that simple, I'm also thinking about, you know, right now we're, we're talking in the workplace about what professionalism really means and what it doesn't mean. And we have had these some of these these tight ideas, like what you talked about with the you have tos, you know, things as as simple as business casual, you know, up to how you write an email or how you act in a specific community. But we're starting to ask ourselves, is professionalism what we actually think it is? Or are we making an assumption about what it means to be professional in this space and then treating others differently if they do or do not fit. So it sounds sort of like what you're saying is this self and other awareness, but then, you know, questioning our assumptions and deciding on our behavior.
1: Yeah. Like, I think, I mean, I guess I really do. (laughs) Awareness is really the first step and like a knowledge of like how this happens, because you're not, you're not really going to make any progress if you still think like other people are the problem and and you were right all along.
0: (laughs) Right, right. I don't think any of us have made progress with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. So, Olga, I'd love for you to complete these three statements. Better humans are.
1: Better humans are aware humans. And better work is. Better work is humane.
0: And a better world has.
1: A better world has space for all kinds of people
0: thanks for being on the show with us thanks for sharing your wisdom and your research and your work with the world i think this is really powerful and it i love that it crosses all sorts of lines between you know the many communities that we're all a part of so really appreciate you putting yourself and your story out there and putting the stories of others who felt a little bit weird out there too Now, I'm curious to hear what your takeaways were, but here were three of mine. In a world of conformity, weird truly can and often does win. I'm using those air quotes again. Also, self-acceptance plays a starring role in how you show up in your own weirdness and in the weirdness of others. I believe you can't give what you don't have. So if you haven't accepted yourself, how can you accept anyone else? And finally, we make choices every day about how we're going to treat our fellow humans in any environment or space that we share with them. So being conscious about how we show up for them and recognizing that they're human is really meaningful. Thanks so much for joining me on the journey and I'll see you next time. Our show is hosted by me, Leah Smart, and is produced by the amazing LinkedIn Media Production Team. Gratitude to Dan Mills, Nicole Roach, Andy Ta, Katya Kostakova, and Lamia Bowden. Dan Lujan is the mastermind behind the scenes. Chris Eldridge did our cover art. And our music is from the ever-growing collection of APM Music. If you like our show, go on Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate us. And if the spirit moves you, leave a review. It helps our work get out to more people like you who benefit from it. And if you want to stay in touch, subscribe to our newsletter. It's on LinkedIn and it's called in the arena. And lastly, you can feel free to email me at in the arena at linkedin.com. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next time. I have a question for you because I, you know, when we phrase this better, the idea was around, you know, the, the idea of success or being being the best is a moving goalpost, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of better is, you know, how can you get one percent or ten percent better than you were? So it, it come it moves from the outside world to, you know, you're, you're competing with yourself and wanting to improve, but you said better is normative. And I'm really curious, like what word would you use (laughs) if you were thinking about this?
1: No, I'm probably too in my head about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying better. I I don't think you're like bad for saying that. It's just like, because I read a million studies, like it's sometimes hard to say like this, this is better than this because like the thing the study found is that it's different and not necessarily better. Mm. So I don't know. I think I'm just like too in my head about it. like feel a little like anxious saying that like something is better than something else Mm. or like that some outcome would be better than, I mean, obviously like some outcomes are better than others. Yeah. I think it's just a a me thing. I don't think you'd need to worry about it.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I just, Oh, I wanted to make sure too. I'm, I'm always thinking and I, you know, I'm doing it from my perspective, but to hear others is always great, too. So I, I appreciate it.
1: Because I was thinking like, oh, like better humans are educated humans. And then I was thinking like, well, if you can't afford to go to college, it's not really like your fault that you're not. Right. Here. That's not quite fair. Right. <laughs> so. I don't right, right, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and and maybe it's just a, a signaling, and that was sort of why I explained it, the signaling is, you know, not better than everyone else, or, you know, it's better sort of related to you, your experience, your environment, and how we all improve.
1: Yeah, totally, like, I guess you could be a better you. Um,
0: that's right, yeah.
1: Yeah.